0: Hi, FBA members. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about target market determinations and the design and distribution obligations. These came into effect in October 2021, as you're probably well aware. And financial planners are required to consider the target market determination for clients as part of the information that they consider in in thinking about whether or not the products are appropriate and in the best interest of the clients when they're implementing the strategies and recommendations. Uh, that they have designed to meet the best to to achieve the client's goals and objectives. The target market determinations are something that help describe who a product is suitable for in terms of how it's distributed, what are the objectives of the product, and what kind of clients' financial situations are appropriate for those types of products. In this podcast, we're going to examine what target market determinations are, why they were introduced, and what's their role, how you adhere to the requirements, and, and how to develop an effective target market determination process within your financial planning practice. Uh, today, I'm joined by David Barrett, who comes to us from Macquarie. Uh, welcome, David.
1: Thanks, Ben. Good morning.
0: Can I just ask you to introduce yourself to the members and a bit about your role and, and why you're here to talk to us today?
1: yeah sure i've um, been with macquarie banks originally since 1997 so long-term employee Um, currently i'm a part of the private macquarie private bank operation working in the advice product area Um, still very focused on the sort of more technical side of super tax law social security but um, more recently been much more involved in Uh, the advice side of things, and in particular, uh, was responsible for the implementation of the DDO regime for the private bank as a distributor of of products.
0: So target market determinations have have caused a fair amount of angst amongst our members, probably safe to say. But from my perspective, when the government was considering the implementation of the design and distribution obligations and creating these target markets determinations, there was a really logical reason why they were looking to bring them in. Product disclosure statements are very difficult for consumers to understand and not particularly a client-friendly type of document. I think even short-form PDFs haven't really achieved what the types of consumer protection and client understanding uh, that we were looking for. So design and distribution, target market determinations were probably a good step in the evolution of improving consumer understanding. But just taking a step back in your view and in your experience and and through creating these for for Macquarie, what is a target market determination?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, quite literally, a a target market determination is um, a document that's required to be produced and offered on, on a public basis by the product issuer for primarily the benefit of product distributors. So there's two key concepts i think within the ddo provisions the, the concept of a product issuer a fund manager an insurer a bank that actually manufactures the products and um, offers the products at, at, a, at a first level and then there's a product distributors uh, that are uh, more likely to be actually in contact with the end user of the product so um, typically we're talking about financial advisors licensees etc um, brokers in some in some cases. The idea of the target market determination I- is a document that informs the product distributor of the product issuer's view of what the target market is for the product that they've designed. So the, the, it puts an onus on the product issuer to think about the design of the product and, and who the target market is, and then convey that concept to the product distributor, and then the onus becomes on the product di- distributor to take reasonable steps to make sure in general that the product distribution is to that target market.
0: Which makes a lot of sense, right? Because from a financial planner's perspective, there are tens of thousands of products out there and it can be difficult from reading product disclosure statements and and marketing information about why a product was potentially developed and, and who the right kinds of clients for those products are. They're glossy and they're trying to sell the products and give you all the the whiz bang features, but understanding, you know, this product is right for a specific type of client in specific circumstances is is useful information for making sure that the right kinds of products are recommended mm-hmm. to the right kinds of clients. Mm-hmm. But again, going back to the history a little bit, why why do you think target market determinations were were introduced?
1: It was to address the issue that at the time, and currently it's the case, that there's a very heavy focus on disclosure by product issuers to, to the end consumers. And you know, what we see is very word-heavy product disclosure statements. We see very word-heavy SOAs and, and the like. And the criticism, I think, was that consumers were disengaged with product disclosure statements in particular because of the wordiness. They still weren't necessarily going to be able to get across the complexity of products just by reading a product this disclosure statement based on levels of financial liter- literacy. You know, it doesn't necessarily overcome any behavioural biases. If you take out the financial advice side of things, you know, we, we know that 90% of this Australian consumers are not receiving financial advice, then there's you know, a real problem there with a, a disclosure-only regime. So DDO has really been introduced to put the onus back on the product issuers and the product distributors to take responsibility that the product at a higher level than you would have with personal advice, but that the product is suitable for the client before it's actually distributed.
0: While it was only introduced in 2021, I mean this is something that was from my recollection was recommended as far back as as 2014, 2015 when the financial services inquiry came through so there's been a lot of conversation about these these coming i think from a plan from our members perspective there was you know it seemed rushed at the end and it seemed um to come very quickly and out of nowhere but i think i'm not sure what your engagement was with the the treasury and, and assay processes to to get the legislation implemented but i know certainly i was working on ddo and target market determination Regulation for, for maybe two or three years before it actually got implemented. Were you involved much in the process of legislation and regulation coming through?
1: Oh, not, not so much in the development of the legislation, but it certainly I think the industry as a whole really sat back and was waiting for the ACID guidance before yeah. it started to try and really understand and comprehend the DDO provisions themselves. And there was, you know, it was a long period in its genesis, you know, and we, and we did have that six-month delay from April 2021 to, to October 2021, but it did feel very rushed and there's probably criticism that could be thrown at the industry. There's At the end of the day, I, I think the industry did get there. From our perspective, it seemed like a really quite quite an onerous sort of uh, task to take on at the beginning of the process, but when we finally got there on the 5th of October, it it, it wasn't nearly as hard as we thought it might be. You know the implementation of it in the end we, we we took a fairly minimalist sort of approach to it, and you know it turns out uh, that was probably the right approach, I think rather yep. than trying.
0: What's the role in of financial planners in this design and distribution obligation, and and in relation to target market determinations? In particular, you talked about the purpose of the document is to assist distributors of products. It's not a mm. term we like as financial planners, but no. but ultimately clients have to be recommended a product and and are assisted in in the application process. And so the technical term within the legislation is distribution. Where do planners fit in? In this framework like why, yeah, so are, we, why are we in there?
1: There's probably mm-hmm. two ways of looking at DDO from a planner perspective. Um, there's the distribution, the word that we don't like that, that occurs as a result of personal advice and there's other distribution of, of products. So typically that's going to come from either as a result of general advice being provided to a client or execution only services. And the, the two are quite different given that there's a recognition within the provisions that the provision of personal advice is a process that's much more likely to meet the client's needs to the financial product than than DDO can ever hope to achieve with its sort of big picture focus on taking responsibility for the design of the product, being right for the client on a basis of, of a product issuer's target market determination. So there's there is quite understandably carve-outs in the provisions um, where personal advice has been provided. So it's, it's worth sort of just thinking about it in that way, that if personal advice has been provided, then realistically the obligations are to, in ASIC's view at least, to consider the target market determination. And that's as part of meeting best interest duty and, and forming a basis of advice. So it's another document in what would be a, a number of documents that an advisor would normally look at in determining whether the product is right for the client. It doesn't hold any particular priority in that, that queue. It's just something that should be considered in ASIC's view. So the, the approach that we've taken to that is to to simply uh, require the advisors to, to consult the, the target market determination and file note that they've looked at it and actually make a call. Although it's not required, we, we were asking our advisors to make a call as to whether or not the client is within the target market to determine that. And that, that helps with the reporting. Now, it's interesting that with the non-personal advice distribution you can't distribute if a target market determination doesn't exist for an in-scope product. Whereas with yep. the personal advice side of things, if the target market determination doesn't exist, it doesn't preclude you from distributing the product. So there's a carve out for that as
0: well. Yeah. And I but, think that's I think that's an important thing for for members to to kind of understand is that the target market determination from their perspective is there to provide them with information about whether or not the products going to meet the client's goals and objectives and improve their financial position. And it's appropriate for the client, irrespective of what the target market determination actually says, you can still be recommending those products because there's no obligation to, again, I hate the word, but distribute within the target market. But where you are, there are some obligations that kind of come through from from that kind of scenario. Mm. Can you explain those, David?
1: Yeah. So regardless of whether it's personal advice related distribution or or otherwise you have reporting requirements and the reporting requirements are, are a key feature of of the whole DDO regime it, it it completes the loop so if you like to think of it as the product issuer provides information to the to the distributor via the TMD the distributor uses that information to try and match the product with the the clients if there's any problem with that process then there's reporting obligations on the distributor back to to the product issuer that distribution might have occurred outside the target market in in particular there's a regulatory requirement to report significant dealings Mm. that are outside the target market within a certain time frame but the other aspect in that particular respect is some product issuers are asking of the the distributors to report any dealings that are outside the target market. Now, that's a case-by-case scenario. Some are, some aren't. So you actually need to look at each individual target market determination to to determine what your reporting obligations are. Um, And and for managed funds, that's the key one that's sort of discretionary and pops up from time to time. There's not much else in terms of reporting other than complaints significant dealings and then the optional one is this um, non-significant dealings that are outside target market that you just need to check.
0: I'd like to dive into the significance part of it just quickly, but just just to remind members that there was a lot of a lot of confusion as you mentioned, David. There was a lot of rush towards the end with ASIC getting out the regulatory guidance, and there had been this concept of new complaints reporting data having to come back to products mm-hmm. at one at one time. And the FPA advocated very strongly with Treasury and ASIC to to get that removed, which we were ultimately successful in doing because having to regularly report some products it was on a quarterly basis that you'd had no complaints from consumers um, about those products was was going to be a massive administrative burden. But one of the one of the things that that members um kind of are struggling a little bit to get their head around is this term significant. And I think mm. there's a difference between significant from a from a financial planner's perspective in dealing with one individual client and significance from a product's perspective in terms of the whole cohort of of people who are invested into those products, from your perspective and understanding, what is the significance test, and where does it where does it really apply?
1: Yeah, look, I, I don't know that any of us are any of the any of the wiser on this issue. It's one that I, some of the target market determinations that you come across give you a bit of guidance, but I, I think that is just guidance. So it really comes down to each individual licensee as a distributor of or, or financial advisor as, as a distributor to determine what they think is significant. And um, to your point, there there is, I think very clearly a difference in significance dealings from the product issuer's perspective, from the distributor's perspective. So it, it's relative to the total distribution that you have as a as a an, an advisor as to whether any particular transaction is significant or not. Some of the guidance sort of suggests that if one particular transaction is 50% or more of your total distribution for that period, then it would be significant. That That's an interesting concept because as you're aware, Ben, I'm sure that you're required to report significant dealings on a statutory basis mm-hmm. within 10 business days of becoming aware that it's a significant dealing. Now, that if you have to wait until the end of the period to determine what your total dealings are, and then whether or not uh, a particular transaction meets the 50% threshold, then you, can, you won't be aware that it's significant till the end of the the um, reporting period, which is convenient because you do all the rest of your reporting at the end of the reporting period, and you don't have to report that transaction within 10 business days of it actually occurring, um, mm-hmm. because you won't know whether it's significant or not until the end of the period. So, so there is some solace in in that particular um, way of looking at it. But then I, I do I do feel you know, a hard and fast 50% rule is probably not the be-all and end-all. I think you might need to think about certain one-off transactions that might be, I mean, you've had a lot of transactions and you had one transaction that was 40% and all your other transactions are 2 or 3% or something like that, then you may be tempted to think that that 30 or 40% transaction is is a significant dealing as well. So I, I wouldn't be necessarily hanging my hat on a 50% rule as being significant. Yeah.
0: And I think from the conversations I've had through the FSC and and with a lot of of products around these significant tests, from from most of the big product manufacturers' perspectives, there's nothing that a planner will ultimately recommend that will actually tip their significance reporting obligations off because financial planners generally, uh, on a client-by-client basis, are recommending such a small proportion of the ultimate funds that are within within that investment that they're they're unlikely to get to a significant threshold that the product would need to consider mm. but there is useful information sometimes in whether or not a particular product is being recommended to clients in a particular way to suit particular purposes and maybe that will change the way that a product needs to be designed and and built and and managed going forwards and so um, there are cases to your point sometimes there is a threshold of, of sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower um, in some of these target market determinations so the products can understand. But I think the other point is we were in a process of waiting for ASIC to provide guidance. Products were having to make decisions. A lot of this is still being worked out Mm. and, and figured out and What's in the target market determinations today might not be what's in the second or third iterations of target market determinations going forwards in relation to significance.
1: I think that's a very the, important point that, that that ASIC is really very much in a consultative sort of phase with the you know regulation of DDO at this point in time. Although I do understand they're starting to do a bit more surveillance of, of market activity in this space yeah. as we speak.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And ASIC, to their credit, um, anytime I had questions or anytime I wanted to clarify things on behalf of members, were very, very open to having conversations and understanding how target market determinations and video was, was affecting planners and, and their interactions with clients. The other important reporting obligation around target market determinations is in relation to complaints. Planners, I, I think, on the whole, don't get a lot of complaints from their clients about anything, really, and, and those sort of numbers are coming through from AFCA, Africa Complaints Data and things like that. But there is a reporting obligation specifically in relation to target market determinations. Can you explain what that complaints reporting obligation looks like and entails? What What should planners be thinking about there?
1: With regards to complaints? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So there's a statutory, statutory requirement to report back to the product issuer of any complaints in relation to the product. And to your point, I mean, our experience, you know we're yet to have a complaint that we've needed to report back to a product issuer. Our experience generally is that if complaints are coming through, they tend to be about advice more than the product itself, more than the complaint about the product. And I think that's probably the challenge if you do have complaints from clients, that you know, need to look closely at it and determine, well, what is the actual complaint about? Is it really a complaint about the product which needs to be reported or is it really about the advice that was provided which wouldn't need to be reported back to the
0: product issue? Sorry, I was going to say, yeah, so if a client comes and says, I'm not happy with something, I want to complain about something, you've now got to think about more things. You've got to think about, is it a complaint about the product? And, and if it's a complaint about the product, is it that the uh, information in the target market determination may not have clearly explained what who the product was aimed for and what it was designed to do. Or is it a complaint about performance, which is probably which probably actually doesn't necessarily fit within that target market determination complaint mm. framework? Although some products want that information and others don't, um, is the complaint about the advice, and and those complaints are becoming few and far between? Or is the complaint about the services that the that the planner is providing and how those are all dealt with are, are very different. So you need to think about how all of that comes together now when the client actually comes to you and says, "I have a complaint, David." I know you said you've you've gotten a process on the on the financial planner side within within Macquarie, and you're requiring file noting of consideration of the target market determination. What sort of things should planners be thinking about in terms of considering the target market determination, thinking about how they might note that they've considered it or otherwise from a a best practice perspective?
1: We've got a process where we ask the advisors to determine whether the client's within the the target market or not. And if the client's outside the target market, uh, they're required to escalate if they want to proceed with the transaction then it would be escalated for for authorization and you know that's typically um, approved where personal advice has been provided the issue then is a lot of advisors are incorrectly uh, assuming the clients are outside of the target market uh, and missing the the so-called diversification cords as i like to to call it that is it, often within some of the managed funds uh, target market determination so that's a key. Aspect of a target market determination to focus on. Look for that diversification clause. That's the first thing I, I really look for when I look at a uh, target market determination. And you know, if it's there, then with managed funds, if it, if it's a, a growth fund and you've got a, a balanced or a conservative profile, then that allows you to determine that the client's within the target market because of the diversification clause. Allows it, as long as you've got a small enough allocation to that particular product that fits within the. The requirements within the target market determination. So, I think that's the key thing to look for. You don't have a problem if a diversification clause is in there. The next point to look for in the reporting process is whether or not the issuer uh, is requiring you to report all outside target market transactions. And often they're not requiring it, it's optional for them. Uh, and often they're not. So, when you go through that two step process, what we're finding is very, very low numbers of uh, reports required to the issuers of transactions that are outside target market. We haven't had one yet that we've considered significant. All of our reporting is just non-significant outside target market distribution where it's required to be reported by the particular product, product issuer, which is few and far between. So we're we're getting some reports going to single um, figure numbers of product issuers. Yeah, and I think that's
0: I think that's the important thing for for members to be conscious of there are very few circumstances when you understand your client when you understand their goals and objectives when you consider the right strategies for them when you put together a portfolio of products and investments to meet those goals and objectives in their best interest there's going to be very few situations where the client you you are recommending a product and implementing a product for a client where they're going to be outside the target market but more importantly in a significant way and I think, you know, the the comment you just made about the diversification clause is is something that I think covers you most of the time, even if it's not there. If you have a particular objective for the client that you're trying to address that that type of product is appropriate for, then it it won't be a significant dealing outside of that target market. So the obvious case is you have a conservative investor but maybe they've got a long-term goal that in 20 years' time, they want to leave some money for their kids or they want to leave some money for their grandchildren and a growth-type product is more appropriate in that instance. They have a goal and they have an objective to grow a pool of money for a long period of time. A growth investment is appropriate in that circumstance. And so in that circumstance, you wouldn't need to recommend that they're outside the target market determination because for that, portion of the client's investable assets they're not Um, and so it's important to go to that kind of next step don't just look at the fact that you've got a conservative risk profile uh, growth product Uh, you have to think about the, the whole spectrum of of the advice you're providing to the client
1: I agree with that logic in theory I think you'll find that when you look closely at the target market determinations it's sometimes difficult to have that interpretation when you look at the literal interpretation of the words within the target market determination. So uh, I'm aware aware of that view. I, I just find it a little bit difficult from a compliance perspective to necessarily adopt that that view because of the risk of a literal interpretation of the target market determination being being applied.
0: Fair enough. But I'd also I'd also. <laughs> I'd also mention that I mean, in the scheme of things, there are a lot of products out there. So, if you find Sorry. one target market yeah. determination isn't allowing you to make the recommendation for your client that you might otherwise want to, um, yeah. there are other ones out there yeah. as well.
1: Is, this is an issue where a little bit of guidance would go a long way. I mean, some some sort of comment from from ASIC along those sort of lines that that, that you were saying would be really helpful for the industry just to, to clarify that particular point.
0: Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. and I and we've certainly. Um, We've certainly looked to have those conversations with ASIC. And to the FSC's credit, they've put together a bit of guidance note for financial planners that helps explain the significance test as well, which uh, we'll look to remind uh, members that is out there. Uh, David, was there anything else you wanted to cover off in terms of design and distribution and target market determinations?
1: Uh, only the issue around the government's requirements. A governance program. I think that's going to be key. I'm sure ASIC's probably not going to be necessarily having too much focus on, on smaller distributors, smaller licensees, but certainly for the larger licensees. I think the first thing they're going to look at when they're looking to see how an organisation has complied with the DDO obligations is to look to what governance you know, documentation there is in place. So I would encourage all licensees to, to ensure that they've got that document there available. And, and demonstrating what their, their processes are going to be around DDO. It's a useful process to go through, you know, putting together a government's document, but uh, I, I think it's just going to be critical if there's any surveillance of an organisation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just to bring it down to practical levels, within your compliance framework and within your advice process, the target market determinations are an important piece of information to be considering about when you recommend a particular product to a client. And so having a documented process where you consider the target market determination and, and either record that you have looked at it or keep a copy of it or however you choose to, to manage that process is is something that's important from a governance perspective that mm. if ASIC starts to look at your licensee and starts to do an order of your licensee, having that within your processes becomes um, incredibly important. Thank you, David, for your time today and for sharing your expertise and knowledge around target market determinations and design distribution obligations with members. Um, if, they, if members want to find out more information, is there anywhere in particular that you would point them to?
1: Uh, look, I, I think the ASIC guidance is worthwhile. Um, that's maybe a bridge too far for for some advisors, but there is plenty of guidance. We've produced a couple of articles that have been published, I think one by the FPA, a high level sort of summary of what DDO is um, involved in worth reading those sorts of commentaries. And then just looking at the asset guidance, I think it would be the second level to go to once you're looking for a bit more detail.
0: And I know uh, ASIC put out some FAQs within the Financial Advice Information Hub as well around target market determinations. And otherwise, members, you can have a look at the guidance that uh, I did up for you in relation to target market determinations and how those operate as some nice, easy videos for you to get your head around how all of that works. Thank you, David. Appreciate you joining us today on the podcast.
1: Thanks for the opportunity and appreciate being involved in this.
0: No worries. Thank you. And thank you, members, for listening in. Uh, We will have another episode of the FBA podcast coming out shortly. Have a great day.